Hey Siri, tell me a joke. Two drums and a cymbal fall off a cliff. What? Hey Siri, are we friends? I'm your assistant. And your friend, too. Hey Siri, call me Human Boss. From now on, I'll call you Human Boss. Okay. I'm Claire Evans, a.k.a. Human Boss, and this is You, a podcast about the intersection of technology, humanity, and identity, brought to you by Okta. In this episode, we're getting into the world of digital assistants, what they are and what they mean to us. We're talking about Alexa and Siri and Google Home. They set our alarms. They tell us the weather. They play us our favorite songs and podcasts, and in theory, they make our lives easier. But when does an assistant become too embedded in our lives? When does it cross the line and become more than just a helper? I'm trying to remember my very first, how shall I put it, voice-on-voice interaction. It must have been with Siri, which seemed to me to be shockingly futuristic when I first encountered her. It seemed the future had come too soon. I was genuinely surprised to be able to interact with my phone in this way. Sure, it was a bit choppy at first, but voice interaction went from seemingly impossible to totally normal in just a few months. Now I talk to Siri pretty much every single day, and I don't even think about it. That's the shocking and amazing thing about technology. Just how quickly things become normal. Um, So I have it in my kitchen. I use it when I'm cooking for timers. It's good in that respect, but it's strange to think that it's maybe listening to me and using data without me really thinking about it. It's weird, I guess, because it talks back to you. But no, it's definitely not a person. It's It's not a robot. I don't really know how to describe it. I think I just talk to Siri like I would talk in general because... It's a means of communication, and it doesn't sort of matter what it's directed at. Like, I mean, I talk to my dog. My dog doesn't understand what I'm saying. Yeah, Siri probably better understands what I'm saying than my dog, so so there's that. So, you know, I think some of the best reactions are when you say something maybe by mistake or accident, and then Siri responds, and you get this kind of serendipitous conversation where, you know, Siri is like, no, I don't think I can answer that. And it, it like, she will respond in a way that you're kind of like, oh yeah, like there, I see an inkling of a human in the engineering of this. Today we're talking about assistance, specifically the Google Assistant, which is a virtual AI that does everything from tell you the weather to tell you jokes. To find out more, I went to Google HQ in Mountain View to speak to someone who knows more about how the Google Assistant behaves and why. Hi, I'm Lillian Rinkin. I'm a director of product management for the Google Assistant. I lead a team of product managers that define what the Google Assistant should be good at. Can you recall your first experience with a voice user interface? My first experience with Avui actually happened when I was at Skype, actually my previous job. This was five years ago. Bot platforms were kind of bubbling out of everywhere. And, you know, Skype was known as something where you did video calls. And so we decided that we would build Skype video bots, that you could actually call a video bot and have a voice conversation with an avatar. 
Yeah, we built a few. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting, like a synthetic person, like with a face. Yeah, it's fascinating. At that time, we did a lot of research for avatars that looked like people and avatars that looked like characters. And what we found was that the ones that looked like people were creepy and Mm. the world was not ready for them. And so we went very much the, like, it looks like a toy. You are literally talking to a cartoon. That's so funny. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I think one of the things I appreciate about the voice interfaces that I deal with and interface with in my life is that they don't have faces and I can project Mm -hmm. all manner of things onto them. Like, I have a certain idea about what Siri looks like versus what Alexa looks like, and that's going to be different for me than for anybody else. And I like that freedom. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So a system can be fun and funny often. Mm -hmm. I mean, gives us all kinds of funny responses, unexpected responses. I suppose that's part of the design because it keeps people wanting to ask more. Mm -hmm. How do you determine what is in character for the assistant and what is appropriate for the character, personality, however you want to put it? At the end of the day, we always want the assistant to be doing whatever is being asked. If somebody just says, hi, that's more of what we call a character response, which is more of a personality response. Right. You don't want to ask for directions from the assistant and then, you know, get a get a joke back. Yes, you want to just exactly. get to work. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So is the team that's crafting the character responses a different team than the team that's crafting the more pragmatic responses? We have the Delight personality team that really crafts more of these personality type answers. Um, I don't know if you know this, but you can ask the assistant to sing you happy birthday. You know, that again, that's more of the delight personality team. That sounds a little lonely, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty fun, actually. So I have a habit of thanking my digital assistant when it gives me information. And in talking to friends and family, I think I'm not the only one that does this. And I don't know exactly why I do it. I think on some level, I know that it's not like the assistant appreciates You know, me being thankful, but I do enjoy stepping into this sort of collaborative role play game with the assistant where I extend the conversation to make it feel more like there's a back and forth between us. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wonder if that's something that you see a lot and if you design for that. We have done a ton of research in how people use the assistant across many different surfaces. And and what we've noticed actually is that there are certain segments of the population where you have more of this type of appreciation of the multi-turn type of conversations that you're alluding to. You know, in particular, we see this a lot with kids, especially younger kids, like three to, you know, eight-year-olds who want to play, let's say, with the assistant. And so part of the playing is having a conversation. And interestingly enough, we also see this with kind of more of the older population. And they're actually, it's been kind of fascinating looking at the research because you see, you know, more of the you know, the widows, people who are old, but who maybe lost their significant other, and them finding, if you will, a bit of companionship with this, you know, assistant in their house that now they can say, hey, I'm going for a walk. Again, it's not about actions. It's not about like, you know, performing a call or doing other things that it can do, but just literally this act of having a conversation with this assistant is something that they value. We like to think of it as a another person sometimes, but we usually use it as a tool as opposed to another person. So I think the, the registry you use when talking to these kind of machines is completely different. I have a nine-year-old daughter and she wants to talk to Siri sometimes. She's asked me before. Yeah, it's kind of like confusing a little bit for her, I think. I was seeing this guy once and he was talking to his Alexa and I just like, 
got the worst vibe from how he was talking to his smartphone, essentially. I just remember him using like a demanding tone and like, no please and thank you. And it just rang me the wrong way. Something that I'm wary of as this kind of technology becomes more popular is losing that base level human politeness and losing sort of this very intrinsically human thing of just at least treating people you're communicating with with some level of respect. There seems to be this very delicate balance, maybe even a conflict, between the idea of the digital assistant as a utility and the digital assistant as a friend. I'm like a child, already at the point where I'm relating to my Siri as though she were an invisible friend. I can't help that. I think I'm a very anthropomorphic person. I tend to look for patterns and shapes and faces and things, and I like projecting that kind of warmth onto the world. I think on some level, the way that you treat all non-humans, plants, animals, and yeah, even Siri and Alexa, says a lot about who you are. I like to respect the digital assistants. I know it's silly because they're just technologies owned by massive corporations, but it's not about what it does for the tool or for the company. It's what it does for me. I think consistently modeling compassionate behavior towards all things makes me feel better about who I am, and I think makes me a better person too. It's a way of training myself to be better, to be more mindful. Let's get back to my conversation with Lillian Rinken, who heads the team designing the Google Assistant. You mentioned your kids earlier, and I'm always curious about how young, really young people, I don't know how old your kids are, but how young people engage with things like this. Because, you know, I see babies, you know, using tablets and phones, and it blows my mind that yeah. they can internalize all of this amazing magical technology without even, you know, thinking it's unusual because they've never known anything different. Right. So I'm just sort of curious, you know, what do your kids think the future of something like Assistant looks like? I mean, are they imagining that this is going to be part of their lives forever? I, I mean, my kids are really young. Uh, my daughter just turned two and my son is five, so they're really small. Um, I will say that it's been fascinating to me because my son, for example, we didn't have a, an assistant, let's say, speaker in our house when he was growing up, mm-hmm. whereas my daughter kind of grew up with it, right, from like zero to two. And so it was interesting to me as she was learning to speak, she very quickly actually realized that she she can you know, tap the speaker to stop it and that, you know, she can, she can say, and she can't actually say it yet, but she can say Google, ABCs or Google, you know, twinkle, twinkle. And like, she, she clearly got enjoyment out of some of the few things that we do actually on the personality team and, and through media. That's fascinating because then at this point you have an assistant that's, you know, part of the development of a child, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's, it's answering all those why, why, why questions that kids always <laughs> ask, maybe, um, giving them information, but also maybe modeling behaviors to them. I sometimes worry, and I don't think that I'm alone in this, that with especially voice-operated digital assistants, we risk training a generation of kids to expect immediate responses to all of their queries because kids who are growing up with this technology you know, it has a very significant developmental role in their lives. Is that something that you think about? And, and how do you go about training systems that, that positively reinforce behavior for kids? Yeah, I mean, I think as a mother of two and and especially seeing my daughter grow up with these devices, you know, this is definitely something that's been close to me and, and something that 
actually, I started on the team because I felt very passionate that we should actually have a point of view and develop something for parents who are in my situation with, with kids kind of growing up with these devices. It's a feature that we call Pretty Please. It's something that we announced earlier on in the year. And the idea is exactly as you're suggesting, is to is to use positive reinforcement to uh, put the devices in a mode that encourages uh, kids through accolades when they say please um, to be polite, basically. It's interesting. I think it touches at, you know, how much power these technologies really wield, can wield in our lives. Because, you know, whether or not the assistant models positive behavior for kids can have a huge impact on the way kids grow up. But also if, you know, the assistant one day says, hey, I'm a feminist or go vote, you know, these things could have a massive ripple effect across the world. And I mean, I imagine that that responsibility is somewhat daunting. I don't know. Is that something that you think about? I think that a lot of us actually do feel this responsibility. Um, You know, as I've said, the assistant is only two and a half years old. And so a lot of the information we have is very new. Um, but as these things come up, like the, the kids thing we just talked about, you know, I think know that there are a lot of people who do feel that kind of burden on their shoulders to think about, well, what kind of impact does that have on society? What kind of impact does that have, you know, on the kids that are growing up? I can't imagine that there's an easy solution to any of it. I mean, it's a complicated thing. And it's funny because it's, you know, I don't know, we, we still culturally have this assumption of technology being kind of this neutral, sterile thing. But especially once we get into these voice interfaces, these are very intimate parts of our lives. I mean, this is our very expression, the way that we talk, the way that we are in our homes, the way that we are with each other. And, you know, how these technologies respond to us is going to have a huge impact on who we are as a, as a species, dare I say. I mean, maybe sure. that's a little bit much, but <laughs> if you start looking in the future, you're saying this is early days. So, mm-hmm. With kids and with seniors, clearly there's a, an opportunity for us to be thoughtful about the implication of this technology and kind of introducing, let's say, the internet and, and the power of technology. It's interesting to me because a, a large portion of our users are young millennials. And for millennials, actually, it's the feedback we get is the opposite. It's like they actually don't want it to be like personality, you know, they wanted to just get to the point and do the thing, more of like a utility. This is why I say it's early, that we have to look at the research, kind of understand, and then decide, like, well, what should the assistant, maybe the assistant should behave differently in certain modes. Okay, you keep saying it's super early days, which is mind-blowing to me, because this is like (laughs) the most futuristic technology on the market, probably. But what is the end game, then, in your mind? I mean, what's the... What's the dream scenario? Uh, what's the relationship look like between people and digital assistants in, say, five years, ten years? Actually, there's some places in the world right now that you can literally buy a house where everything in the house is connected to the Internet and could be hooked up to an assistant so that you could essentially do anything in your house through your voice. I think the other aspect, uh, as we think about the future of the assistant, is really thinking about how the assistant can be more proactive and comprehensive, actually. Today, for example, you you could add something to your shopping list, uh, and that's it. It just basically goes into a shopping list. But in the future, imagine if you tell your assistant, you know, to help remind, like this is a problem actually I have, Mm -hmm. uh, remind, you know, uh, me to book a date night every Saturday night with my husband. Um, And, you know, the assistant in the future could actually suggest, like, oh, actually, would you like me to look up one of the favorite restaurants that you have and actually make a reservation for you, text the babysitter for you. Like, imagine an assistant that, you know, can actually be truly helpful to the tasks that you're trying to get done rather than just taking a note, you know. 
set up a date night. So that's sort of a movement towards much more proactive role in our lives. Right. Are there common responses that you see a lot in terms of what people say to assistant? Yeah, so actually, uh, we one thing we did recently uh, and on the personality team, actually, was to take a look at what are the kinds of things that people say to the assistant. And we found that over 1 million people a month say, I love you, to the Google Assistant, which we thought was kind of cute and fascinating. I have to wonder if how many people say, I, you know, oh, I hate you, or whatever. <laughs> I mean, people say, I'm sure people say all kinds of stuff. But yeah, it's I, nice. did, I didn't pull that metric. <laughs> <laughs> that data is out there. I'm desperate to know. The future of digital assistance is exciting because I feel like in my short lifetime, I've, I went from not having one to being so used to one in my home and my friend's home and my family's home. And I feel like it's going to transform our lives where we're all going to rely on it heavily and everybody we know will have one in their home. In 50 years, I think we'll be a lot further along than we probably imagine right now. And I think, I think AI will be all around us. And I think we'll be able to have much more seamless, fluid interaction with it. I guess there's this possibility for like people who are lonely to have interactions in a way that maybe we can't even imagine now. I think that the hope is always that new technology is doing something positive, that it's making life better for people, that it's making the world better in some way. And even if we can't sort of see the specific of how it could possibly do that now, I think the possibility that it can is exciting. I want to think that we can coexist with technology beautifully in a way that enables us to, you know, be in harmony. That's what I want to think. So here's the thing. These assistants are useless without us. They're for us. They respond to us. They listen to us. And if our primary mode of interaction with technology is going to be through our voices, then the question is, what are we going to say? Are we going to say the same things that we say when we're typing in the dark? Or are these technologies going to make us nicer? Because when we actually have to communicate out loud, we might actually be more truthful. Well, that or the internet will just continue to be a giant shouting factory. But still, I have a hard time believing that anyone is going to tell Alexa or Siri or Google Home to say something terrible to another person on Twitter, for example. At the same time, digital assistants are there to serve us, which means they're always telling us what we want to hear. And the only things they hear from us are demands, complaints, and orders. I mean, if I could look back at everything I've ever asked Siri, I would probably get a really good portrait of all of my insecurities the limitations of my knowledge, my neediness, my demands. It wouldn't be the best version of me. It would be all the things that I'm lacking. I don't know that I would say that my digital assistant is like an essential part of my life. It's a highly enjoyed convenience. In the coming years, there'll be new features, new integrations that will make my digital assistant as important to me as my phone or my computer. We're almost there, I think, but I'm a cautious adopter. Anyway, for me, the important thing is being able to have consent across the board when these devices are around. Just because they're so intimate and the relationship with the computer is so much different when you're relating to it primarily by voice. It's such a human point of contact. 
That's as close as it gets to the real self, the unmediated self, the part of ourselves that's not necessarily being curated and projected for social media or for the workplace. Hey Siri, do you love me? I don't know, but I think you're pretty great. Hey Siri, do you think it's possible to love me? I really couldn't say. This is You, a podcast brought to you by Okta, and I'm Claire Evans. Thanks so much to our guest, Lillian Rinkin, for joining us. We'll be back next time for a grudge match. It's internet fame versus internet shame. Spoiler alert, we all lose. Don't forget to subscribe, share, and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>